The Miami Heat are out to a 5-1 start and have the best point differential in the NBA. The question is, is this just a fast start, or are the Heat poised to make things interesting at the top of the Eastern Conference? Plus, the Lakers have recommitted to defense and have won five straight games. Later on, we'll take a look at what's going right in Los Angeles. I'm Wes Goldberg here with David Ramil. It's Tuesday, November 5th, and this is Locked On NBA. You are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. They're winning because they found Josh Richardson in the second round to turn him into Jimmy Butler. They found Kendrick Nunn off the G League scrap heap. He's averaging 21 points a game. They got Adebayo at 13, Hero at 14, back of the lottery picks, which are coin flips. That's why they're winning, because their front office worked the margins like almost perfectly. It's remarkable. With wins against the Rockets and Bucks already under their belt, the Heat are making a statement as one of the best teams in the East. At 5-1, and one, they have the second-best record in the conference, and half of that was without star acquisition Jimmy Butler. You can credit a big part of Miami's start to rookies Tyler Hero and Kendrick Nunn, the development of center Bam Adebayo, and veteran point guard Goran Dragic buying into his role off the bench. But let's start with the guy that everybody wants to talk about, Kendrick Nunn, who the Heat signed out of the G League. He's averaging 19.5 points per game. He's shooting 44.4% from three-point range. I think the big question, David, is this sustainable? I'd have to say no, and we already saw evidence of that in the win over Houston where none only scored five points. Eventually, he's going to start showing up on scouting reports around the league, and I think he's already starting to see some attention as far as defenses are concerned. They're keying on him and trying to keep him from doing what, what's most comfortable for him and getting to the line and, and getting to the rim and also shooting from the perimeter. I mean, all these things are, are they've looked good over the start of the season, but eventually I think the defense will start to key in on him. But the, the best thing about Miami is that there's a, a scoring by committee uh, approach here where there are so many different people who can take up the scoring lead for this team. It doesn't have to be Kendrick Nunn, so Miami can continue winning without Nunn necessarily being the top scorer on the team the way he's been for the first few weeks of the season. I mean, between Nunn and Tyler Hero, it looks like the Heat have two of the most impressive rookies from this last draft class. I agree with you. I don't know that Nunn's thing is sustainable. He's not going to play. He's not going to score 20 points per game the rest of this season, but um, you know, one guy in Hero went 13 overall. The other guy was signed off of the G League scrap heap. I mean, just looking at the Heat's draft history and their ability to find these sort of guys, I know we joke all the time that they don't care about draft picks, but they really maximize them when they do have them, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think they looked at Hero in particular and saw his work ethic, the fact that he was as good a shooter as he was, even though we didn't see the full range of his abilities during his one year at Kentucky. And I think they recognized that he was a complimentary piece to the team that they envisioned. We didn't know that Jimmy Butler was in the plans. We didn't know that he'd be able to offload uh, Hassan Whiteside in a trade to the Portland Trailblazers. And so when Miami was looking at assembling this team, they saw Hero and the fit that he provides. And it's worked out very well. Now, none, I must say, he was also the second leading scorer during his senior season at Oakland University, just second to Trey Young. So it's not like there isn't a precedent here for that incredible scoring. And clearly, he's going to be capable. Of, I think he was a top scorer in the G League during his one year in Santa Cruz as well. So clearly, he, he's a very, very top end scorer. And we expect that to be continuing, even if not necessarily as dominant as what we've seen from him in the past. But absolutely, to your point, they they look at acquiring players and, and knowing that they fit a mold here. Bam Adebayo was another one. I remember when he was drafted, we weren't quite sure what he was going to be able to provide because he hadn't provided much during his one year in Kentucky. But he's turned into a very versatile player, a great defender, and an incredible playmaker at the center position. Bam's been really good. They've been playing him next to Myers Leonard, and I think that's been a pretty interesting combo with 
Myers Leonard's ability to space the floor, and then Bam Adebayo just it gives him enough space to just fill in all of the creases in between, right? Because he's so active and so athletic. It's it's been a really nice fit there. Uh, but Jimmy Butler, I mean, he's been really good for them, to no surprise. He's averaging 15 points, seven rebounds, and seven assists a game. He's averaging an insane four steals per game. It still yeah. feels like he could be better, right? Especially from the scoring perspective. I keep pointing out the fact that the difference between Butler and the teams that we've had in the past couple of seasons is that he is the kind of superstar that can pick and choose when he's most effective. And and I think he just hasn't had occasion to be as dominant as maybe he can be. I, I know he's not clearly like a LeBron James or a Giannis or a Kawhi where he can be like a, a dominant presence like that, but he's still good enough where he can overtake games. He just hasn't had to do, you know, do that just yet. He's more of a complimentary role, kind of getting everybody to maximize their own abilities you know, maybe it's a little cliche, but bringing out the best in everybody, getting them to play at their best level. And we've seen that for the games that Jimmy's been in there where he kind of just allows everybody to take over. He's been more of a playmaker, which has always been one of the more underrated aspects of his career. But he's also been great on defense. And he's just this incredible ball hawking defense that he's a part of that that guys like Hero, who were supposed to be projected to be a poor defender out of college. He's a big part of it. None as well out of bio. I mean, the only maybe minus defender you have there is Myers Leonard just because he's a little bit slow at the, at the position. But overall, though, it's been an incredible defense. And they're keeping people from shooting at the perimeter. And Jimmy's obviously a, a big part of that. I think they're, they're tops in the league as far as their perimeter defense is concerned, holding guys at just, I think, 26% from three-point range. So that's incredible. So the real question is, are the Heat actual contenders to come out of the East this season? Well, if you listen to Jimmy, he certainly seems to think so. But I'm not quite convinced just yet. I, I think in the playoffs, you start to see... Teams kind of pull away there with more superstar talent, and while Miami doesn't necessarily have it just yet, um, they're a good team. There are guys, there are guys that are very committed to playing at a high level, but I just don't know that they'll be able to get these kind of free throw calls in the playoffs. I don't know that we're going to see Kendrick Nunn be a playoff dominant player. Um, you know, there's there so many different factors that go into winning playoff basketball, and I just I think Miami's kind of lacking in that department. They are, I think, a team that can definitely be a home court advantage kind of group. And they can also advance a little bit deeper than most people had expected them to over the course of the offseason. But I don't know if they're necessarily title contenders just yet. So then what's next for this team? Because we know that they were involved in talks for Russell Westbrook and Chris Paul over the summer. The role players seem to have even more value now as possible trade trips, right? So, I mean, I think there is still this idea of a next step of maybe a possible addition to this team despite the fast start. Yeah, I'd have to say that they'd probably be more likely to make trades along the periphery, kind of moving a player like Deion Waiters, who's fallen out of favor with the team, maybe even a James Johnson or something like that, although he looked really good in his one appearance against the Rockets. I just don't see them making a play for a superstar, not with everything clicking as well as it is, and there's such a good positive vibe around this team. I don't know that they'd want to change it by either trading away a young player as promising as a hero or Kendrick Nunn or even a role player like a, a Justice Winslow or anybody like that. I'm not sure what they would move and for whom, but at this point in time, it just doesn't seem like that's very likely. I think they'd probably wait until the offseason and say, okay, this kind of reminds me, and I know we've talked about this before, the 2003-2004 season where they were all these great young promising players like, like a Lamar Odom and a Karan Butler along with veterans like Eddie Eddie Jones and Brian Grant, and then they package those players in a trade for Shaquille O'Neal to pair him alongside Dwayne Wade. That's kind of where it feels like anyway from, from my perspective. And we, look, speaking of off-seasons, we know that the Heat are going to have cap space not this summer, but next summer in 2021. That summer when guys like Giannis and Kawhi, Paul George, and Victor Oladipo will be available, 
If they keep this up, they could be in prime position to attract one of those top free agents. They've done it before. Coming up, is the Lakers' commitment to defense real, and can it set them apart in the West? Manscaped is number one in men's below-the-belt grooming. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code LOCKEDON at manscaped.com. The Lakers have won five straight, and they're doing it with defense, limiting their opponents to an average of 96.8 points on 38% shooting in that span. The Lakers have the second-best defensive rating in the NBA, and LeBron James in particular seems to have found a spark on that end, saying that his quick twitch is back. Now, David, the offense has been fine. It's about league average, but... You've got to think that that will come along eventually when you have LeBron and Anthony Davis as the crux of that thing. But their defense is winning them games right now. And I think that they can sustain it. Do you? Yeah, I agree. I I think, obviously, with Davis in there and being a high-level defender, that seems like that's going to be the centerpiece of an excellent defense. But you've also got other perimeter players like Avery Bradley and and Rajon Rondo to a lesser degree, as well as Dwight Howard, who's fifth in blocks. I mean, obviously, Davis is leading the league in blocks, but Dwight Howard providing a huge boost off the bench as well, uh, fifth in blocks. And LeBron James himself being healthy and committed to defense, something that we haven't seen from him maybe over the last few seasons of his career. So as long as he's healthy and able to contribute at this kind of level, I think that sets a precedent for the rest of the team, and they'll follow suit. I think that's the key, right, is if LeBron is healthy and he's setting the tone there, that it's his team, and he used to be an elite defender. We remember when he first signed in Miami, one of his goals was to win Defensive Player of the Year, right? Now, he never got that, but he was a Defensive Player of the Year type of perimeter defender. Anthony Davis was a Defensive Player of the Year candidate before last season's weirdness. Uh, like you said, he leads the league in blocks. Dwight Howard's been awesome. Uh, Danny Green has been a really good addition for that perimeter group, too. It looks like when they went out this offseason, they went and grabbed guys who could be plus defenders. Uh, you mentioned a bunch of them. And, you know, offensively, I think that's what we're seeing is that some, there's some nights where these guys are going to make shots, right? There's some nights where Avery Bradley is going to go 3 of 5 from three-point range. There's other nights where he's going to go 1 of 6, right? That's just the way Avery Bradley plays. Same goes for Danny Green. Same goes for all these other guys. But on a day-in and day-out basis, they'll be able to be good defenders. And then on those games where the threes aren't falling, you at least have LeBron James and Anthony Davis in that two-man game to sort of lean on for, to get points because we know LeBron can score and we know that Anthony Davis can score. So, you know, I, I'm not, I'm, I don't want to react too much after just a few games, after six games here, but the formula seems to be working at least early in the season. Yeah, I wasn't sure that when they brought in some of these, and I hate to use the term, but some of these viewed as retreads around the league, like guys like Howard and others, that they were going to be able to contribute at a high level. But clearly Avery Bradley has improved a little bit. Danny Green always going to be a consistent defender. But Dwight Howard in particular making an impact like this. To your point, they absolutely are going to rely on their two-headed beast of Davis and James. But everybody else can just kind of fit in there. And as long as that defense is playing at such a high level and keeping other teams from scoring, from getting to the rim, from getting off those shots at the perimeter, they're going to be able to win a fair amount of games. So they, they look like they're much better than I would have expected them to be, to be honest with you. Especially Dwight. Right. I mean, he he's coming out with these quotes that don't even sound Dwight like. I mean, asking, okay, like, how are you embracing your role? And he's telling, you know, ESPN, it's not my role. This is my purpose. It's my purpose to be a rim protector and die for loose balls. And if you're a Laker fan, you're reading those. and You're like, oh, hell yeah. Like, this sounds great. Uh, But the thing is, they've won five in a row and things seem to be good. But Lakerland is a roller coaster. Good times are precarious. If they start losing and LeBron starts pointing fingers 
and doing all of you know the subtweeting that LeBron does, we could see an about face, I think, real quick. That's that's the way things go for that organization, and, and from the front office all the way down, right? And as, but so as long as LeBron and Anthony Davis are playing their best and teammates are hitting shots, things will be fine. But if not, right. I still feel like things can always implode there. Yeah, and and we've seen that from LeBron in the past too. He can get really surly. He can get a little bit in himself and. And not necessarily, as you said, overtly accusing teammates, but he can also subtweet them a little bit, kind of poke at them and say, you know what, maybe you should fit in rather than try to fit out and things of that sort. I mean, that's just the, the games that he plays and it's unfortunate, but it's also a byproduct of having a, one of the all-time greats on your team. But you're absolutely right. If things go bad, then we'll start to see a surlier version of LeBron and maybe some of this kind of kumbaya type chemistry that we've seen early on won't necessarily be there. But at least the defense provides a, a foundation to kind of build on, and and again, maybe that's maybe that's shaky because it's built on LeBron's health and level of commitment, and maybe if things fall apart a little bit there, then you won't get that same kind of level of commitment from him in, in the future. But for now, at least it looks like that's steady enough so that he can continue to win there. I, I think that's more aligned with what he was like in Miami, where their commitments to defense was so across the board that they were going to continue to win at a high level. Not until that fourth season that he was with the Heat did you start to see kind of holes in that defense because of Dwayne Wade being in and out of the lineup and things of that sort. And then that's when LeBron kind of said, you know what, it's time for me to abandon ship. But at at this point, I think the team is still good enough. They're committed to winning. They're committed to defense. And they should be a a little bit steadier than than the the versions of the Cavs that we've seen over the last couple of years for LeBron. I mean, with those Cleveland Cavalier teams, the, the most recent iteration, he was maybe – there was no positive defenders for the most part on the floor for large portions of the game. And now, you know, just having a guy like Anthony Davis in that back line, we talk about Dwight, Danny Green, these role players sort of stepping up. Uh, you could see that maybe LeBron, LeBron has always been the guy who kicks it up another notch when he knows that there's high stakes, right? When he knows that there's a championship-type organi- team that he's playing with, he's going to kick it up another notch. This is what he's done in the playoffs when, you know, when that opportunity is there. And so I think that's what we're seeing. And I think we're seeing a level of urgency, too, from this Lakers team, not only because of last season being as disappointing as it was, but understanding that the West is so good that home court advantage is going to be important for them. They lost that first night against the Clippers. They've won five straight since then. They have the best record in the West right now. I don't know if that's going to hold. But the other guy that we haven't really talked about yet is Frank Vogel, who I think was a the. I know that he was their backup coach, option this offseason but he's done a lot of good stuff there especially getting them to buy in defensively I think that's what we saw him do in Indiana we saw him do that in Orlando and we're seeing him doing that in LA now yeah one of the keys to LeBron has always been having a coach who's willing to get in his face a little bit and challenge him and and set priorities for him because that's what LeBron just responds to if you're a little bit too lackadaisical in your approach to LeBron and how you handle him and his entourage you kind of let them have uh, the, the run of the place, then then things start to fall apart a little bit. So I think this kind of challenging of LeBron is what brings out the very best of him. And and again, with him at the head of this team, everybody else kind of sees that as the example. Even Dwight talking about Anthony Davis and, and, and LeBron being the leaders of the team. like That's kind of talk from Dwight that we've never seen before. He's always been, at least in his own view, the leader of every team he's ever been a part of, even if that's never been true. But at the same time, now we're starting to see that that he's falling in line with a big, as big a personality as LeBron's. And I'm curious to see what happens next. To be honest with you, it's an yeah. interesting team. And then LeBron returning the favor, calling him in post game press conferences Superman, right? So we know he's he's kind of giving it back there. Again, things are good right now. Coming up, 
why Trey Young's return from injury on Tuesday night should get your attention. Before we look ahead, let's recap last night's action. Bradley Beal scored 22 points to lead the Washington Wizards over the Detroit Pistons 115-99. The Brooklyn Nets were led by Kyrie Irving's 39 points to beat the New Orleans Pelicans 135-125 despite Brandon Ingram having a career-high 40 points. James Harden had 44 points and 10 rebounds to lead the Rockets over the Grizzlies 107-100. Giannis had 34 points, 15 rebounds, and 6 assists to lead the Bucks 134-106 over the Minnesota Timberwolves. And then Devin Booker had 40 points, and Al Horford had 32 points in the Phoenix Suns' 114-109 win over the Philadelphia 76ers. And finally, Eric Paschal, the 23-year-old rookie who was celebrating his birthday, scored 34 points and had 13 rebounds to lead the Warriors to a 127-118 win over the Portland Trailblazers. Hawks point guard Trey Young is expected to return from a right ankle sprain for tonight's game against the Spurs. Before the injury, Young was on fire. His 26.8 points per game were good for 8th best in the league, and he was finding teammates with 7.3 assists per game. Defensively, in his second season, he hasn't been as bad as he was as a rookie. The Hawks have actually had a better defensive rating when he was on the court than when he was off. But it's the offensive end that makes Young special. He's an elite passer with great vision and timing. Known to never be afraid to jack it up from three, he's also shooting 50% from beyond the arc this season. Tonight against the Spurs, he'll face standout defender Deontay Murray, who is averaging more than two steals per game. Like Young, Murray should come to anchor one side of the court for his respective team, Young on offense and Murray on defense. Both will be very good NBA players, but their ceiling will be determined by how much they can produce on the side of the court where they aren't already among the league's elite. Tonight's game between the Hawks and the Spurs will provide an interesting look at the game's age-old push-and-pull between offensive-minded and defensive-first players, and among two of the brightest young talents at the guard position. For David Rommel, I'm Wes Goldberg, and this has been Locked On NBA.